sickness, even today in the news, we were looking at the news at dinner, and there was a shooting at a celebration, the victory parade for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I don't know how many people were, were hurt or killed, but what should have been, there was one person killed? Wow. So we were watching a clip of the news, and they were showing the area and what should have been a time of, at least from the world's perspective, I mean, some of the things that were going on, I wouldn't say were, were any fun at all, uh, certainly not from a, a Christian perspective, but what should have been, again, from a worldly perspective, a time of fun and joy and excitement turned into another uh, time of violence, and someone, at least one person is dead, several injured in the hospital. There, there is such a, an emptiness and a despair in our, in our culture and people are losing even the will to live. Some of the reasons we're seeing some of this in, uh, increase in assisted suicide bills, euthanasia bills, of course, with abortion, this culture of death uh, that comes out of a despair and a hopelessness. And uh, we as believers, we, we have a will to live and a will to live for Christ. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We never see as much as Paul suffered, as hard as it would be for him sometimes, there was never a hopelessness and a despair. He said, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So if, if anyone should have motivation for living, and for serving, and loving, and uh, being everything that, that God would have us to be, then it should be us as believers. And uh, yet there is such a hopelessness, and we see even a discouragement, even among believers uh, that sometimes creeps in. So in, in looking at this series of godly motives, uh, we will cover several, uh, as we have. We've looked at the glory of God, our acceptance in Christ. Uh, we've talked about evangelism, uh, the church, uh, our calling uh, in Christ. And we'll look at a few others. But tonight, we'll look at the, the truth as believers, one of our motivations should be the truth. God has given us, as his children, the truth. He has bought us with the truth. He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So as we look at this motivation, we see the obvious and the clear, and I know it's uh, repetitive, but God's word is truth. So when we talk about a godly motive of defending the truth and living for the truth and loving the truth, that all has to do with God's word, of course, because God's word is truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Don't you get tired of the lies in politics and just seems like everywhere we go, lie after lie after lie. And I don't know who said it, but it's, it's a truth, if I can say it that way. It's kind of a contradiction of terms. But I don't know who coined the phrase, but if you say a lie long enough and loud enough, eventually people will believe it. I was shocked to hear a report the other day, I was listening to a a report about what goes on in North Korea. And they have been told lies. There was a defector that had uh, shared some of what they were taught growing up. And basically, there is no other 
way of looking at the world except through the lens of the North Korean dictator's propaganda. So North Korea, according to the propaganda, is the center of the universe, so to speak. So they invented everything, they discovered everything, they explored everything, they have made the world a better place, and it's everybody else out there that has ruined it. They're the only ones with the truth. That's the way this person was raised. And they were in such bondage to lies. Look, think of some of these people who've grown up in these terrorist organizations, in these radical Islamist groups, where they've been told since they were able to walk and able to talk, they've been told lies about Israel, about the Bible, about God, and how damaging and destructive and how ultimately it damns souls to an eternal hell. Lies. We go back to the garden where Satan tempted Eve with lies. God has kept something from you. Ye shall be as gods. Hath God said. And Satan, of course, is the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. We can go to John 1 and verse 1. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christ, of course, being the living Word. And the written Word is all about Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6. Psalm 119 and verse 142. I know we took uh, several months last year and went through Psalm 119. But in verse 142, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and thy law is the truth. What happens when law, when decrees are lies? What does that do to a culture, to a civilization? What does that do to people when the law is lies, when evil is called good and good is called evil, as we're seeing sadly more and more in our culture? God's word is truth. Down in verse 151, thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. And then we go ahead to the New Testament in 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. 1 Peter 1 in verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love. We could go to Jude, the book of Jude, and I know it's not specifically the word truth, but it's that same idea of the body of truth. Jude, in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. The faith is that body of truth once delivered unto the saints. So God's word is truth. And God's word changes us. Hebrews 4 and verse number 12, we know the verse well, that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joints and marrows, and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We could go to Jeremiah 23 and verse 29, where the word of God is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And then Psalm 19, Psalm 19, what a tremendous psalm this is, Psalm 19 in verses 7 and 8. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. As we think of God's word changing us, we see it converts the soul. It makes wise the simple, rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes. We're thankful that God's word changes us. First of all, changes us by saving us. 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, we were just looking at 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. Well, 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. We are born again by the word of God. So when someone says that there can be someone out there in some remote place somewhere around the world who's never heard of Jesus, who's never been given the gospel, that they will somehow on their own with sincerity of heart get to heaven. That's not true. I know that is a sobering truth, a sobering reality. But no one gets saved apart from the word of God. No one gets saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. No matter how sincere they are, they may have some fear of some divine presence or God, little g God. They may even look up into the sky and recognize some, someone or something is greater than them. But without the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, without the word of God, no matter how sincere and well-meaning they are, no matter how many good works they perform, they can't be saved. They cannot be saved apart from the truth of the gospel, apart from the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. James 1 in verse number 18. James 1 in verse number 18. We were in James recently in our Sunday morning series. James 1 in verse 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word sanctifies us. We already saw there in John 17 in verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's word has a sanctifying effect on our life. Aren't we glad for that? Aren't we so thankful? We are worms. <laughs> we are wretches as those hymns, those great hymns describe us. I was just reading recently of John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace and how he was saved uh, from literally being a slave trader on a slave ship and indescribable types of activities that he was involved in that God saved him out of. And he describes himself as a wretch. The song we sang tonight, a worm. I've even seen some hymn books where that, that word is changed. It's not worm, it's something else. Because that, 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 that's kind of grubby to think of us as a grubby old worm that we step on on the sidewalk when it rains real hard. Or we, as I used to do as a little boy, and I'd pick it up and I'd take it apart. And it's interesting because certain places, I understand, a certain, you can take an earthworm apart in certain places and it'll grow back. 
Um, I forget how all that works, but I was listening to a podcast by uh, Institute for Creation Research, and this guy was describing the earthworm and the different segments, and anyway, it was, it was fascinating. But we're worms, we're wretches. He saves us, we're positionally in Christ, but there's a lot of progress that has to be made, isn't there? Aren't we so glad for the word of God? I'm so thankful. I, I, again, I, I think of so many occasions where I've just been in a mess of a situation or I've made a mess of a situation or I'm just in a time in my life where I'm just out of sorts or whatever and just the way the word of God works and how the word of God sanctifies us and changes us into the image of God's son. We are looking at four R's here as maybe you're following along on the outline that's included there in the prayer list. But I thought these were really good. I borrowed these from Paul Chapel, who is uh, the president of West Coast uh, Baptist College out in California. And I thought these were, were, were very good. And he, he, he talks about these four R's. How the word of God renews our mind. Romans 12 and verse number 2. Where we are not to be conformed into the image of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How, are we, how is our mind renewed? The Word of God. We all probably have thoughts and memories and regrets even since we've been saved, but especially before we got saved. How is our mind cleansed? The Word of God. How is it that we don't just continue to dwell on those sins and those memories? And there are things that we maybe avoid because we don't want those memories to come back up. But how is it that those memories, and we can't erase them, I know, completely, and there's whatever the science is, but there is a, there is a cleansing effect on the mind, a purifying effect of the, of the mind, a renewing of the mind that comes only from the Word of God, not from some self-help book. He reconstructs our thoughts, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. How is our thoughts, how are our thoughts reconstructed, built up in defenses against worldly, stinking, wrong, sinful thinking? The Word of God does that. The Word of God rebuilds our character, shows us what is wrong, shows us what is right, how to fix what's wrong, and how to stay right once we get it corrected once we get it fixed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And he revises our behavior. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. There's a great change that's come into my life. I forget how all that song goes. How did that happen? How is our behavior revised? Again, we can do 40 days of this and 30 days of that. And I understand from what I could tell from being out today, it's Ash Wednesday. I completely lost track. I'm not a liturgical um, type of preacher and we're not a liturgical church. But did you, did you see anybody today with the, the ashes on their forehead? So we were talking about this today in the van. Uh, Josiah and I were. So, yesterday would have been Fat Tuesday, right? 
Okay, so you can indulge yourself in all kinds of wickedness and sin and perversion. We don't even want to talk about what goes on in Mardi Gras down in New Orleans, right? And you can do all that so you can have, what, 40 days of maybe some sort of sacrifice? Is, is, that, all the, is that all that we're supposed to do, is to perform some sort of moral act? I know that there might be some sincere people who are believers who follow the liturgical calendar and, and go through Lent and all that. I, and again, my point isn't to be all condemning of, of all that. But most people that I understand who follow that are only doing it to try to make some sort of good effort, good faith effort, to appeal to God to be received in their works righteousness. Because from what I understand, you can give up Diet Pepsi for 40 days and you can give up something small and insignificant. Some people, they sacrifice more than that. But does God say, okay, after Easter, then you can go back to your sinful lifestyle and then come on Fat Tuesday. We're going to Mardi Gras it. Is that what we're supposed to do? How should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. He, he revises our behavior. Why do we not want to do the things that we used to do? Because God changed our desires. God changed our motives. God changed our outlook on life. We now are bought with a price. Therefore, we desire to glorify God with our body, with our spirit, with every part of our being, which belongs to God. Psalm 119 in verse number 9. Psalm 119 in verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3 in verse 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Word of God acts as a mirror and shows us what needs to be fixed. And by God's grace, we make those changes. God's Word revises our behavior, rebuilds our character, reconstructs our thoughts, renews our mind. We also... In looking at the truth of the word of God, we see that God's word is profitable. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. We think of profit in a lot of areas, financially, economically. We want to get a certain percentage, whatever it is in real estate now. I think it's 7 or 7.5% 7 or something. Grocery stores, from what I understand, their profit margin is 1%, 2%. And gas stations, we understand they don't make most of their money off of the gasoline. They make most of their money off the snacks inside. That's why they have all the goodies. And that's why you have to pay 3 three or three fifty for a 20-ounce drink, right? Um, but I've been impressed with Family Express over here. They have, they have a pretty good, pretty good coffee. Um, but anyway, for gas station, I'm, I was impressed with Family Express. We think of all these profits and profit margins, but God's word is profitable far more than any economic profit. Profitable spiritually, morally, for our Christ-likeness. God's word is alive. The word of God is quick and powerful. Quick as in alive. The word of God is not dead. People talk about the Bible being a 2,000-year-old book, and us as believers, why would we follow a 2,000-year-old relic of a book? when we could follow all the progressivism and be on the right side of history. That's all that nonsense. That's all that stinking thinking, wrong theology, wrong idea. No, we have a, 
book that is alive. The truth is alive and well. The word of God is quick and it is powerful. It is dynamo. It is dynamite. And we should not be ashamed of the word of God, of the truth. God's word comforts and gives us hope and patience. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4. Romans 15 and verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Aren't we thankful for the promises of God's Word when we need comfort, when we need peace, when we need to endure, when we need an extra dose of patience for bearing up under the load? Aren't we thankful for the Word of God and the promises of God's Word, the truths that sustain us? God's word effectually works in us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. I want to make sure I get to this so we can read this as well. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Aren't we thankful for the effectual working of the word of God in our lives? God's word enlightens and directs our paths. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's will, knowing what the next step that we should do, applying God's commands and principles and promises to our life so that we might know and do God's will, that we might have God's desires implanted in our hearts as we delight ourselves in the Lord, which includes, of course, delighting in the Word of God, so that the desires of our heart are the desires that God has planted there, so that we then do the will of God as we fulfill those desires that God has placed within our hearts, within our, our, our minds, our lives. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Are we applying the principles, the truths, the promises of God's word, the commands in the decisions that we make? God's word keeps us from sin. Psalm 119 and 165. We could also go to Psalm 119 and verse 11. But Psalm 119 and verse 165. Psalm 119 and verse 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. That word offend there has to do with stumbling or stumbling blocks. In other words, God's word keeps us from sin, points out the stumbling blocks, shows us the evil, the sin that we need to avoid so that we are not stumbling over that sin, that we're not falling into that sin. That's what that word offend has to do with there. In Psalm 119 and verse 165. And then God's word gives true success and prosperity. True success and prosperity. There used to be an old commercial, and I can't remember what it was for, but there was this chant, song, jingle in the commercial, S-U-C-C-E-S-S, and I forget how it all went. Then there was a cheer in our for our basketball team in high school <laughs> that was based, I think, off of that same, uh, that same jingle maybe. But, you know, where, where is true success found? Where is true prosperity found? It's found in the Word of God. Joshua chapter number 1. We probably know the verse well. Joshua 1 and verse number 8. 
This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. In other words, it should be right there on the tip of our tongues, right there at the center, at the front of our being. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. We could go to Psalm 1. We could go to the book of Psalms in Psalm 1. I know this would also overlap with God's word keeping us from sin. But Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the sea of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And then number 10, God's word, God's word produces discernment. God's word produces discernment. Why do we not recognize sin? If that research, Barna's research group showed that if among those who claim Christ, only 6% have a biblical worldview, no wonder we can't recognize sin. No wonder we have no discernment. No wonder we can't call evil, evil. We, we don't know the truth. We don't have a standard to compare to. We need the word of God to set the standard. Knowing then the word of God, the word of God produces discernment in our lives. Proverbs 9 and verse number 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. That word understanding has to do with discernment. Understanding the times, understanding what's going on. It's the idea of discernment. Psalm 119 and 130 as well. Psalm 119 and verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Reveals the dangers ahead. Gives us discernments that we recognize sin and we call it what it is and we avoid it. When evil makes an appearance, we avoid it, as we read in, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians. So we conclude with this. What about the truth? As a godly motive, as a motive for our life, we should be passionate as believers for the truth, the truth that saved us, the truth that sanctifies us. So we should love the truth, know the truth, internalize the truth, not just be hearers, but be doers, having the word of God form our being, our character. So we love the truth, know the truth, internalize the truth, we obey the truth, we live the truth, including, and that would be speaking the truth, not being hypocrites, not being liars and deceivers. We're to share the truth. We have the responsibility to share the gospel and share the truth with others. And we're to declare the truth when God gives us opportunity in evangelism and teaching and preaching opportunities. And we're to defend the truth. That means we are to, as a church body, we each have a responsibility. We talked about this on Monday night in our Bible study, and we were talking about the church at Philadelphia and the synagogue of Satan, and whether that was an inside group or an outside group. But thinking of it as an inside group, how did that ever get into the church? How did the synagogue of Satan and the blasphemy get into the church? Somebody somewhere, whether it be the preacher, it has to start with the preacher, first of all. But what about individuals? We all have a responsibility. When somebody starts bringing up 
wrong ideas, sinful ideas? Are we willing to speak up and say, ah, that doesn't measure up to the word of God. Um, we need to cut that out. We're not going to go there. We may have to go to the pastor, come with me and let's go to the pastor, come with me and let's, let's go work this out with this individual. I'm not going to believe this. Let's not just believe a third party is saying we're going to take this to the individual and go back to them and get it fixed. Because what happens, right? Lies creep in, gossip and rumors, backbiting and slander. And then there's all the other false teachings and compromise of the world. The synagogue of Satan was there in Philadelphia. And John was writing by the inspiration of God and saying, there's a remnant of believers in that church that are of little strength. They're feeling the pressure because there's that synagogue of Satan and the blasphemies. So we need to even defend the truth. How important it is, this godly motive of the truth. May we live by this motive along with the others. And we'll look at a few more as we continue in the series. But thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for your faithfulness. I know it's a busy week. Sometimes you have to scramble to get home, grab a bite to eat, swing through the McDonald's drive-thru and hope they have good service <laughs> and, and get here on time. But thank you for being here. And uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Lord, the realities that reveal the very character of who you are and what you have done and will do. Lord, you have revealed your truth in the word of God and in the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we live according to the truth. Defend it, obey it, and may it uh, be lived out in our lives. And we pray for your strength and your help throughout the remainder of this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of the week. We look forward to seeing you again on Sunday.